Hello, lovely listeners and readers. Thank you, as always, for listening in and joining with me today. I hope you're all doing wonderfully. We are going to be reading chapter 45 today in A Tree Grows in Brooklyn. Chapter 45 Christmas again, but this year there was money for presents and lots of food in the icebox and the flat was always warm now. When Francie came in off the cold street, she thought that the warmth was like a lover's arms around her, drawing her into the room. She wondered, incidentally, exactly what a lover's arms felt like. Francie took comfort out of not returning to school in the realization that the money she earned made life easier for them. Mama had been very fair. When Francie was raised to $20 a week, Mama gave her $5 a week for herself to pay for her car fare, lunches, and clothes. Also, Katie deposited $5 each week in Francie's name in the Williamsburg Savings Bank for college, she explained. Katie managed well on the remaining $10 and a dollar that Neely contributed. It wasn't a fortune, but things were cheap in 1916, and the Nolans got along fine. Neely had taken to school cheerfully when he found that many of his old gang were entering Eastern District High. He had his old after-school job back at McGarrity's, and Mama gave him one of the two dollars for pocket money. He was somebody in school. He had more spending money than most boys, and he knew Julius Caesar backwards, forwards, and upside down. When they opened the tin can bank, there was nearly four dollars in it. Neely added another dollar, and Francie five, and they had ten dollars to spend for Christmas presents. The three of them went shopping the afternoon before Christmas, taking Lori with them. First, they went to buy Mama a new hat. In the hat store, they stood behind Mama's chair while she held the baby in her lap and tried on hats. Francie wanted her to have a jade green velvet one, but there wasn't a hat of that color to be found in Williamsburg. Mama thought she ought to get a black hat. We're buying the hat, not you, Francie told her, and we say no more morning hats. Try on this red one, Mama, suggested Neely. No, I'll try on that very dark green one in the window. It's a new shade, said the woman proprietor, getting it out of the window. We call it moss green. She set it straight on Katie's brow. With an impatient flick of her hand, Katie tilted the hat over one eye. That's it, declared Neely. Mama, you look beautiful, was Francie's verdict. I like it, decided Mama. How much? she asked the woman. The woman drew a long breath, and the Nolans girded themselves for bargaining. 
It's like this, began the woman. How much, repeated Katie inflexibly. In New York, ten dollars would you pay for the same merchandise, but if I wanted to pay ten dollars, I'd go to New York for a hat. Is that a way to talk? Exact copy, same hat in Wanamaker's is seven fifty. Pregnant pause. I'm going to give you identical hat for five dollars. I have exactly two dollars to spend on a hat. Get out of my store! Shouted the woman dramatically. All right, Katie gathered up the baby and got to her feet. You must be so hasty! The woman pushed her back into the chair. She thrust the hat into a paper bag. I'm letting you take it home for four fifty. Believe me, my own mother-in-law shouldn't have it for that price. I believe you," thought Katie, especially if she's like my mother-in-law. Aloud, she said, "The hat's nice, but I can only afford two dollars. There are lots of other hat stores, and I ought to get one for that. Not as good as this one, but good enough to keep the wind off my head. I want you should listen." The woman made her voice deep and sincere. They say that by the Jews, money is everything. By me, is different. When I got a pretty hat and it goes with a pretty customer, something happens to me here. She put a hand on her heart. I get so. Profits is nothing. I give free. She pushed the bag into Katie's hand. Take the hat for four dollars. That's what it costs me wholesale. She sighed. Believe me, a businesswoman, I shouldn't be. Better I should be a picture painter. And the bargaining went on. Katie knew when the price finally reached two fifty, the woman wouldn't go lower. She tested her by pretending she was leaving, but this time the woman made no attempt to stop her. Francie nodded to Neely. He gave the woman two dollars and fifty cents. "You shouldn't tell nobody how cheap you got it," warned the woman. "We won't," promised Francie. "Put the hat in a box. Ten cents extra is a box. What it costs me wholesale. A bag's good enough," protested Katie. "This is your Christmas present." Said Francie, and it goes in a box. Neely got out another dime. The hat was wrapped in tissue and put in a box. I give it to you so cheap. You should come back next time you buy a hat, but don't expect such bargains next time. Katie laughed. As they left, the woman said, "Wear it in good health. Thank you." As the door closed on them, the woman whispered bitterly, "Goyam!" and spat after them. On the street, Neely said, "No wonder Mama waits five years to buy a new hat if it's all that trouble." Trouble," said Francie. "Why, that's fun." Next, they went to Siegler's to buy a sweater suit for Laurie's Christmas. When Siegler saw Francie, he let loose a flood of abuse. So, the last you come in mine store is something maybe other dry store, dry goods stores ain't got, and you come by me, 
Maybe by other stores, dicky penny cheaper but damaged stock, no? He turned to Katie and explained. So many years comes this girl by me to buy dickies and paper collars for the papa. Now for a whole year already, she don't come. Her father died a year ago, explained Katie. Mr. Siegler gave his forehead a mighty blow with the flat of his hand. Oi, by me is so big the mouth so my foot always goes in, he apologized. That's all right, said Katie soothingly. It's this way by me. Nobody tells me nothing and I don't know till now. That's the way it always is, said Katie. And now, he asked briskly, getting down to business, what can I show you? A sweater suit for a seven months old baby. I got here exact size. He took a blue wool outfit from a box, but when they held it up to Lori, the sweater reached only to her navel and the leggings went to just below her knees. They measured other sizes and found a two-year-old size that was just right. Mr. Siegler went into ecstasies. I'm in dry goods business 20 years, 15 on Grand Street and 5 on Graham Amur and never in Leben do I see a seven months so big. And the Nolans glowed with pride. There was no bargaining because Siegler's was a one price store. Neely counted out three dollars. They put the suit on the baby then. And there. She looked cute with the zitful cap pulled down over her ears. The bright blue color brought out the rosiness of her cheeks. You'd think she understood the way she acted so pleased, flashing her two-toothed smile about indiscriminately. Ach, de Lubchen, crooned Siegler, hands clasped prayerfully. She should wear it in good health. This time the wish was not nullified by his spitting after them. Mama went home with the baby and her new hat, while Neely and Francie continued their Christmas shopping. They bought small gifts for their Flipman cousins and something for Sissy's baby. Then it was time for their own gifts. I'll tell you what I want and you can buy it for me, said Neely. All right, what? Spats. Spats? Francie's voice scaled up. Pearl gray ones, he said firmly. If that's what you want, she began dubiously. Medium size. How do you know the size? I went in and tried them on yesterday. He gave Francie a dollar and a half and she bought the spats. She had the man wrap them in a gift box. On the street, she presented the package to Neely while they frowned solemnly at each other. From me to you, Merry Christmas, said Francie. Thank you, he replied formally. And now what do you want? A black lace dance set in the window of that store near Union Avenue. Is that ladies stuff? Asked Neely uneasily. Uh-huh, 24 waist and 32 bust, $2. You buy it. I don't like to ask for anything like that. 
She bought the coveted dance set, panties and brassiere made of scraps of black lace held together by narrow black satin ribbon. Neely disapproved and muttered an ungracious, you're welcome, to her thanks. They passed the Christmas tree curb market. Remember that time, said Neely, when we let the man check the biggest tree at us? Do I? Every time I get a headache, it's in the place where the tree hit me. And the way Papa sang when he helped us get the tree up the stairs, recalled Neely. Several times that day, the name or thought of Papa had come up, and each time Francie had felt a flash of tenderness instead of the old stab of pain. Am I forgetting him, she thought? In time to come, Will it be hard to remember anything about him? I guess it's like Grandma Mary Romilly says, with time passes all. The first year was hard because we could say last election he voted, last Thanksgiving he ate with us, but next year it will be two years ago that he, and as time passes, it will be harder and harder to remember and keep track. Look. Neely grabbed her arm and pointed to a two-foot fir tree in a wooden tub. It's growing, she cried out. What do you think? They all have to grow in the beginning. I know. Still and all, you always see them cut off and get the idea that they grow chopped down. Let's buy it, Neely. It's awful little, but it has roots. When they brought it home, Katie examined the tree, and the line between her eyes deepened as she figured something out. Yes, she said. After Christmas, we'll put it on the fire escape and see that it gets sun and water, and once a month, horse manure. No, Mama, protested Francie. You're not going to put that horse manure over on us. As small children, gathering horse manure had been one of their most dreaded chores. Grandma Mary Romilly kept a row of scarlet geraniums on her windowsill, and they were strong and bright and clear-colored because once a month, either Francie or Neely had to go out on the streets with a cigar box and fill it with two neat rows of manure balls. On delivery, Grandma made payment of two cents. Francie had been ashamed to gather horse manure. Once she had protested to Grandma, who had answered, Aye, the blood runs thin in the third generation. Back in Austria, my good brothers loaded large wagons with the manure, and they were strong and honorable men. They'd have to be, Francie had thought, to work with stuff like that. Katie was saying, Now that we own a tree, we have to take care of it and make it grow. You can get manure in the dark of the night if you're ashamed. There's so few horses now, mostly automobiles. It's hard to get, argued Neely. Go on a cobblestone street where autos don't go, and if there isn't any manure, wait for a horse and follow him until there is. Gee whiz, protested Neely. I'm sorry we ever bought the old tree. What's the matter with us, said Francie. These aren't olden times. We've got money now. 
All we have to do is give some old kid on the block a nickel and he'll collect it for us. Yeah, agreed Neely, relieved. I should think, said Mama, that you'd want to take care of your own tree with your own hands. The difference between rich and poor, said Francie, is that the poor do everything with their own hands and the rich hire hands to do things. We're not poor anymore. We can pay to have some things done for us. I want to stay poor then, said Katie, because I like to use my hands. Neely, as always, became bored when his mother and sister began one of their figuring out conversations. To change the subject, he said, I bet Lori's as big as that tree. They fished the baby out of her basket and measured her against the tree. Exactly the same height, said Francie, imitating Mr. Siegler. I wonder which will grow the fastest, said Neely. Neely, we've never had a puppy or a kitten, so let's make a pet out of the tree. Ugh, a tree can't be a pet. Why can't it? It lives and breathes, doesn't it? We'll give it a name. Annie. The tree's Annie and the baby's Lori, and together they're the song. You know what? asked Neely. Know what? You're crazy, that's what. I know it, and isn't it wonderful? Today I don't feel like Miss Nolan, supposed to be 17 and head reader of the Model Press Clipping Bureau. It's like olden times when I had to let you carry the junk money. I feel just like a kid. And you are, said Katie. A kid just turned 15. Yeah, you won't think so when you see what Neely bought me for Christmas. What you made me buy you, corrected Neely. Show Mama what you made me buy you for Christmas, Smarty. Just go on and show her, urged Francie. When he showed Mama, her voice scaled up like Francie's when she said, Spats? Just to keep my ankles warm, explained Neely. Francie showed her dance set, and Mama let loose her, oh my, of astonishment. Do you think that's what fast women wear? asked Francie, hopefully. If they do, I'm sure they all come down with pneumonia. Now let's see. What'll we have for supper? Aren't you going to object? Francie was disappointed because Mama wasn't making a fuss. No, all women go through a black lace drawers time. You come to it earlier than most and you'll get over it sooner. I think we'll heat up the soup and have that and soup meat and potatoes. Mama thinks she knows everything, thought Francie resentfully. They attended mass together Christmas morning. Katie was having a prayer said for the repose of Johnny's soul. She looked very pretty in her new hat. The baby looked nice too in her new outfit. Neely, wearing his new spats, manfully insisted on carrying the baby. As they passed Stag Street, some boys hanging out in front of a candy store hooted at Neely. His face got red. Francie knew they were making fun of his spats, and to save his feelings, she pretended they hooted because he was carrying a baby, and she offered to take Lori. 
he refused the offer. He knew as well as she did that they were making fun of his spats, and he was filled with bitterness at the narrow-mindedness of Williamsburg. He decided to put the spats away in the box when he got home and not wear them again until they moved to a more decent neighborhood. Francie was wearing her lace pants and freezing. Whenever an icy wind blew her coat apart and went through her thin dress, it was as if she had no underwear on at all. I wish, oh, how I wish I had my flannel boomer bloomers on, she mourned. Mama was right, a person could get pneumonia, and I wouldn't give her the satisfaction of letting her know. I guess I'll have to put these lace things away until summer. Inside the church, they preempted the whole front pew by laying Lori full length on the seat. Several latecomers, thinking there was an empty seat, genuflected at the pew's entrance and prepared to enter. When they saw the baby stretched out over two places, they scowled fiercely at Katie, who sat rigid and scowled back twice as fiercely. Fancy thought it was the most beautiful church in Brooklyn. It was made of old gray stone and had twin spires that rose cleanly into the sky, high above the tallest tenements. Inside the high-vaulted ceilings, narrow, deep-set stained-glass windows and elaborately carved altars made it a miniature cathedral. Francie was proud of the center altar because the left side had been carved by Grandpa Romilly, more than half a century ago when, as a young fellow lately come from Austria, he had begrudgingly given his tithe of labor to his church. The thrifty man had gathered up the bits of gouged out wood and taken them home. Stubbornly, he had fitted and glued the scraps together and carved out three small crucifixes from the blessed wood. Mary gave one to each of her daughters on their wedding day, with instructions that the crosses were to be passed on to the first daughter in each succeeding generation. Katie's crucifix hung high on the wall over the mantelpiece at home. It would be Francie's when she married, and she was proud that it had come from the wood of that fine altar. Today, the altar was lovely with banked scarlet poinsettias and fir boughs and the golden points of lighted slender white candles gleaming among the leaves. The thatched creche was inside the altar rail. Francie knew that the tiny hand-carved figures of Mary, Joseph, the kings and shepherds were grouped about the child in the manger as they had first been grouped a hundred years ago when they had been brought over from the old country. The priest entered, followed by the altar boys. Over his other vestments, he wore a white satin chasuble with a golden cross on the front and back. Francie knew that the chasuble was, a, was symbolic of the seamless garment, supposedly woven by Mary, that they had removed from Christ before they nailed him to the cross. It was said that on Calvary, the soldiers, not wishing to divide the garment, had cast dice for it while Jesus was dying. 
Absorbed in her thoughts, Francie missed the beginning of the mass. She picked it up now, following the familiar Latin in translation. To thee, O God, my God, I will give praise upon the harp. Why art thou sad, my soul, and why dost thou disquiet me? chanted the priest in his deep, rich voice. Hope in God, for I will still give praise to him, responded the altar boy. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Ghost. As it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen, came the response. I will go unto the altar of God, chanted the priest. To God, who giveth joy, to my youth, came the response. Our help is in the name of the Lord, who made heaven and earth. The priest bowed and recited the confiture. Francie believed with all her heart that the altar was Calvary and that again Jesus was offered up as a sacrifice. As she listened to the consecrations, one for his body and one for his blood, she believed that the words of the priest were a sword which mystically separated the blood from the body. And she knew, without knowing how to explain why, that Jesus was entirely present, body, blood, soul, and divinity, in the wine in the golden chalice and in the bread on the golden plate. It's a beautiful religion, she mused, and I wish I understood it more. No, I don't want to understand it all. It's beautiful because it's always a mystery, like God himself is a mystery. Sometimes I say I don't believe in God, but I only say that when I'm mad at him. Because I do. I do. I believe in God and Jesus and Mary. I'm a bad Catholic because I miss Mass once in a while, and I grumble when, at confession, I get a heavy penance for something I couldn't help doing. But good or bad, I am a Catholic and I'll never be anything else. Of course, I didn't ask to be born a Catholic, no more than I asked to be born an American, but I'm glad it turned out that I'm both these things. The priest ascended the curved steps to the pulpit. Your prayers are requested, intoned his magnificent voice, for the repose of the soul of John Nolan. Nolan, Nolan sighed the echoes of the vaulted ceiling. With a sound like an anguished whisper, nearly a thousand people knelt to pray briefly for the soul of a man only a dozen of them had known. Francie began the prayer for the souls in purgatory. Good Jesus, whose loving heart was ever troubled by the sorrows of others. Look with pity on the soul of our dear one in purgatory. O you who loved your own, hear me cry for mercy.